You're listening to episode 54 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex. I'm Tara. This is hot stove season, so it's time to look ahead. Hey everybody, welcome back to Chirps. I know we skipped a week, but hopefully you enjoyed the little break that included the holidays. I'm Tara Wellman, of course, with Alex Chris Foley back with you as we continue to make our way throughout the off season. And so far, there hasn't exactly been much to talk about, at least as far as the Cardinals are concerned. We could talk about how the Brewers are doing weird things and how the Reds are continuing to try to convince everyone that they're going to be a contending team and how the White Sox are apparently targeting premier free agents yet for their upcoming 2020 season. Those are all things that are happening. But Alex, not much on the Cardinals front. So before we dive into that, I'm just going to ask you about the holiday because Thanksgiving was far more eventful, even in an uneventful year of holiday festivities (laughs) than the offseason has been for the Cardinals. Wait, what, what did I miss? What happened on Thanksgiving? Did I miss something? No, no, no. I'm just saying Thanksgiving in general, like the oh. holiday itself. <laughs> yes, yeah. It was more more eventful than the yeah. Cardinals' silence. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason we didn't record last week because there's right. nothing really going on with the Cardinals. Uh, when do the winter meetings start? It's got to be soon, right? Coming up, a couple weeks, I think. Yeah. And do we think that based on what happened last year and kind of the year before, that the, the idea, or at least what we thought of, kind of as the idea of the winter meetings. Do we think that's done with over like, like our, I, cause I'm not going in with any expectations of, Ooh, this is going to be really exciting. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I keep having a hard time wrapping my brain around the fact that this is the first week of December. So the winter meetings are next week, actually, I believe. So next week, perhaps we'll have something to talk about. Although I don't know, it's such a weird spot for baseball right now and there's so much about it that just no one quite knows how it's going to work as far as what off seasons are going to look like um yeah i was seeing some comments today about how you even in some of these past years where it's been relatively quiet some of the big deals get done before the winter meeting so maybe the next couple of days will be interesting but it does seem like there's there's a different purpose to the winter meetings because teams have such an intense database of their own analysis and their own information. Um, And there seems to be, uh, for better or worse, some pretty consistent methods of, you know, how you value some of those pieces of analysis. So the winter meetings aren't necessarily like these great debates and and conversations between GMs about specific players and, you know, whatever it is. So there's not perhaps as much that happens at the winter meetings as there used to be, uh, because so much of it is pretty well handled by um, other pieces of the departments within these organizations. So I don't even know what to what to assume or what to expect from the winter meetings at this point, because I feel like baseball on the business side has changed so much in the last few years. 
Yeah, the, the Cardinals used to have very exciting uh, winter meetings, but kind of for the wrong reasons, like the <laughs> like in 2015 with Hayward, and then uh, 2017 with uh, I guess Giancarlo Stanton, and then uh, you know Azuna. Uh, so it doesn't quite feel like we're going to have that this year, at least with, as far as a free agent is concerned. Like even last year, uh, even though I, the team wasn't there, we all talked ourselves into the idea of Bryce Harper and, you know, mm-hmm. and like, Ooh, you know, you know, wh- what could they sign him for? You know, should they sign him? Stuff like that. And that certainly gave us, if you recall, a lot of stuff to talk about uh, for a very long Wait, time. We right? talked about Bryce Harper last year. When <laughs> yeah, did that we talked about it a lot. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that's going to happen this year. No, there's certainly not a name that's kind of been attached to the Cardinals at this point. And I think in large part, it stems from maybe even the postseason comments that John Mozeliak and company made, where they basically said, yeah, we're going to look at some stuff, but we don't really know what we have yet, much less what we would be missing, which... It makes the, these conversations that we're trying to have less interesting to some degree because there's not that uh, sort of carrot dangling that you're waiting with bated breath to see if they actually go after. And uh, on the one hand, that's a little bit disappointing, I think. We could dive down that rabbit hole as we have a number of times, but it does make the conversation about how you figure out what you have <laughs> without sort of limiting yourself by not going after one of those bigger options, uh, a, a primary focus, I think. So, you know, how you figure out which of your 19 outfielders are actually major league caliber outfielders uh, without playing them. Well, that becomes a bit of a catch 22 because then if you decide to just play those guys and it doesn't work out, you don't have the backup plan of, of someone of more, um, tried and true caliber, I guess. So it just is a different conversation. It's a different feel. And you're right, the excitement isn't really there heading into next week. Well, the the Brewers seemingly are getting worse. The Reds <laughs> yeah. are uh, on, you know, trying to get better. I, I think we can just kind of ignore the pirates for the time being uh that leaves the cardinals and the cubs uh i i wonder hmm i wonder if either team is going to look at milwaukee and say like okay um we're not quite ready to take the red seriously whether or not that's a smart thing to think i don't know but it's just us and the other team now just us and the cubs or if you're the cubs just us and the cardinals we really should use this as a springboard to get better. I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming based on the way all owners are, that's not, you know, that's not going to be the case and that teams are kind of just locked into whatever their, their payroll is and they don't want to deviate too far from that. But it sure would be nice if the Cardinals or were looking around and saying, huh, you know, this division might not be as competitive as it was last year. We could, make a few moves and really put us in the, in the uh, pole position. Yeah. It seems like the Cardinals have had that opportunity a number of times and haven't (laughs) done it, which I guess maybe is why we're all just sort of resigned to the idea that that's, it's not really in their playbook at this point, but it does. I, I do wonder with as much as baseball has changed from that business perspective, how much these front offices even, 
this this sounds weird to say it this way, but how much they even look at the immediate competition, yeah. right? Because you would like to think that they are looking around and, and thinking, okay, if our goal is to win the division, we need to know what we're up against. But at the same time, there's so much of this idea that like we can only do what we can do and that's based on our bottom line and what the budget is and how much we're willing to spend and how you maximize value from every one of those dollars spent. And I feel like that, I don't know if there's as much direct comparison to what the competition is doing when you're looking at it that way. Yeah, uh, you might be right. I, I mean, I'm I'm sure they look at other teams a little bit, but it's mostly as you said, like the, the problem is teams are just, all, all the teams are just way too profitable. Uh, that's not a problem in and of itself. The problem is the teams are, teams are way too profitable without really having to do anything. <laughs> you know, it, it'd be nice if the teams who were good made just a ton of profit and the teams who were not good didn't. So there was that extra incentive to really go out there and try and, um, make your team as good as possible but now just you don't really have to do that much you can win 80 games and you don't even have to have your ballpark full every night and you're still going to come out ahead because of all these tv deals and stuff like that uh what you said i remember when the uh this is kind of going off on a tangent but i, I remember when the pursuit of dexter fowler i guess that would have been three years ago now and i wrote something about how i thought one of the reasons why it would be smart to sign him and I don't think anyone else was really thinking this or that this wasn't a popular sentiment at least, um, but was because the Cubs would really miss him. That, mm. you know, the Cardinals would add a guy to the leadoff spot and, uh, you know, fill that center field void, which was a void at the time. And they would take away um, someone from the Cubs who had been a, very much an ideal leadoff hitter, especially in 2016. He yeah. was... He was a perfect guy at the top of the lineup. Uh, well, as we know, that didn't quite work out for the Cardinals. He hasn't been great. But you can kind of make an argument that the Cubs haven't really been able to find a leadoff. Oh, absolutely. Since he left. Uh, now, w- whether or not that means it was very smart for the Cardinals to sign Fowler, I don't know. Probably not. But it did weaken them. Uh, I mean, I guess... You know, it would have happened anyway because it doesn't look like they were um, looking to sign him regardless. And someone eventually would have, whether it had been the Blue Jays or whoever else was in the mix. But, yeah, the Cubs haven't been able to fill that hole since he left going on three seasons now. I do wonder if if maybe they would have, uh, knowing what they know now, if they would have tried to sign him, um, you know, maybe he would have given them four years based on how much he liked it there and how you know successful he had been there. Who knows? But... Whether or not it worked on the Cardinals' end, you know that still remains to be seen. It hasn't been great, but yeah, it hurt to come, so that's something. It certainly is from our perspective. I'm I'm very curious to know how much anymore that goes into some of the decisions that are being made. Because as you said, these teams are super profitable, so they don't necessarily have to. Although... Yeah. They're not so profitable that they aren't trying to uh, eliminate like 25% of the minor leagues, um, which has been perhaps the biggest story of the offseason so far, much to the chagrin of Rob Manfred. And uh, I know I 
have had the chance to talk to a couple of teams about it. And man, Alex, it just, it seems like there's so much inconsistency in this proposal to eliminate 42 teams. And it also seems like everything that Major League Baseball keeps trying to say is the reason for it. Like they already have the money to (laughs) resolve it all. I I don't know. It just seems like there's this really intense effort to make it seem like these 42 teams are such an economic drain on their major league affiliates, which that that's really hard to convince anyone of. I think when the kind of money we all know that they bring in um, is all just there that they could solve things with if they wanted to. Yeah. I, I, first off your, your piece last week on all this stuff was excellent. And I look forward to the other things you will be putting out on this issue. I certainly don't know enough about, the minor leagues and all these affiliates to speak too intelligently on this. Um, But it does seem like there are people that there is a valid argument to be made that there are too many affiliates. I've heard some people make that argument um, and not like, uh, I I don't know, like, but not necessarily for the reason that MLB is making that argument. MLB is making that argument because they just don't want to, one, they're sick of hearing about minor leaguers not being paid enough. So I'm assuming they're kind of clapping back and saying, oh, well, you know, if you want us to raise pay, then we're going to have to get rid of all these teams, blah, blah, blah. Because we know they're not going to, that's not going to be extra money coming out of their pocket, right? You know, if if they're going to have to pay minor leaguers more, they're going to make that money up somewhere else. If we know anything about owners, I feel like we know that. <laughs> we know mm-hmm. that. Um, that aside, I, I have heard people who know more about this stuff than I do say that there are way too many affiliates. Um, I guess as a layman looking at it, I don't agree with that at all. I, I think it's great that you can have baseball, uh, you know, all over the country. I, I forget what the stat is, but you know, it's very hard to live far from a minor league baseball team, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but again, I say that completely as someone who is not all that well informed on this issue. It's interesting because I also have heard people say, you know, there are too many minor league teams, too many minor league players. And I think that that argument can be made. I just think that it can't be made without impacting those communities in such a negative way that it's you get you better have a really solid plan in place that addresses all of those things um if you're going to to make that significant of a decision and it doesn't seem like there's a really solid plan in place for that nor does it seem like there's um any sort of consistency in the execution of this plan for example you know facilities is something that keeps coming up, but a number of these facilities have been over the years praised for their quality and for the the standard that they maintain that's above the uh, specifics laid out by the agreement with Major League Baseball. So that doesn't hold up. You know, some of these it's it's travel, and some of these it's you know whatever it is, whatever the the arguments are are that are being made. Like you said. It, 
those don't seem to be good reasons <laughs> to eliminate these minor league teams, especially somewhat arbitrarily, where it's not as if there were mandates set or ultimatums given and these teams didn't match up. They didn't make the cut. They're completely unaware why they landed on this list. So all of a sudden you've got these 42 communities who are going to be affected in really dramatic ways without any clear understanding as to why or what baseball intends to do for those, to some extent, legal ramifications of pulling these teams out in basically a single season. So yeah, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get messy. Those conversations at the winter meetings are the ones that I would really like to be a fly on the wall for because they are going to be representatives there from minor league baseball as well as major league baseball. And those conversations uh, are probably going to be more revealing than any of them that have to do with the actual major league deals that get done. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. But that is, is the extent of the actual news that we have to talk about at this point. So instead, we're going to do a bit of a a thought experiment, and we're going to turn it into a little bit of a competition, perhaps, um, as we look forward to the 2020 season and who that might involve for the Cardinals come opening day. So, Alex, I'm going to let you explain this because... Uh, this was this was your idea. <laughs> okay, so we were trying to figure out something to talk about uh, because, as as you all know, it's early December and there really isn't a ton to talk about right now. So we decided that we would try and guess since the hot stove season hasn't really started yet. You know, there's been a few moves done here and there, but for the most part, you know, we haven't had the winter meetings yet. We're still waiting for it really to get going. We decided that we're going to try and guess the Cardinals starting lineup on opening day and starting rotation um, uh, as the Cardinals begin the season uh, based on what we know now. Now there's only going to be probably like two or three positions that are even in question. Um, So we're going to try to do this as kind of like a point system. And we're going to go back and check once uh, the beginning of the season gets here. Uh, but you get one point if you pick a player to start at the position if they were a starter last year. For instance, we're probably both going to pick Yadier Molina to be the opening day catcher for the Cardinals. <laughs> um, and that will bold, give bold us... choice. Yes, yes. That'll give us uh, one point. Three points will be awarded for picking a player who was with the franchise last year but was not an opening day starter. So, for instance... If you pick Tommy Edmond to start at third base on opening day for the Cardinals, then you get three points. You get 10 points if you pick someone who's not with the team at all in any capacity right now or wasn't with the team last year or whatever. So basically signing some free agent or trading for a player and you're projecting that player to start on opening day. Uh, That is worth 10 points. So one points for... The obvious guys, basically, three points for guys who are with the team, uh, but not necessarily penciled in as starters, or at least weren't last year, and 10 points for players who aren't even with the franchise right now. Uh, Now, I should note that, you know, like, let's say Yachty gets injured in spring training, and whoever the backup catcher is ends up starting that opening day. Uh, We're not going to mess with that. Look, Yachty is still kind of the answer there. We're just going to kind of consider that a technicality. Uh, So that's what we're doing. Um, and we're also going to pick um, 
all three, all, I'm, excuse me, all five starters as well, who we think will make out the uh, five-man rotation. And uh, did that make sense, Taryn? Did I explain it well? Yes. Did, yes. Okay. Okay. I think we so got it. Sh- all right. Should we go ahead and get started? Let's do it. If anyone wants to play along at home, uh, just <laughs> tweet us your starting players. And then when we revisit this after opening day, we can, we can all play along. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's start with catcher. Uh, Tara, to the surprise of no one, I have a man by the name of Yadier Molina. Yeah, you know, I think that if anyone didn't choose Yadier Molina, it, somehow Yadier Molina would find out about it and <laughs> uh, probably ruin your life. <laughs> I, I thought about so. I thought about picking Wilson Contreras. I saw maybe a, oh, tra- a trade yeah. in the works, but that seemed a little, <laughs> little risky. Yeah, uh, for for your own safety, I think it's probably best to just pencil in Molina. Not even pencil. Put it yeah, put it yeah, in yeah. Sharpie. <laughs> yeah, B- branded in there. All right. Uh, yeah. First base, uh, do you want to go first this time? Sure. Also, a complete shock to everyone, I'm sure, uh, one Paul Goldschmidt. I also have Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, Here's a question about Paul Goldschmidt. So last year we talked about Fowler being like, look, he has to bounce back because he can't be any worse. And that was certainly true. And he ended up having a bounce back year, albeit still an average year. It was still a bounce back year. Can we say the same thing about Goldschmidt? Was his down year last year... I mean, it wasn't the, obviously the equivalent of what Fowler did, but can we assume he's going to bounce back from that? I maybe naively, but nonetheless, have uh, quite a bit of confidence in a bounce back year for Paul Goldschmidt, in part because like a lot of the numbers were still there. It just it, it, that it was such a strange season when you look at the things that went poorly. And the fact that he was still able to generate some results. So I feel like the second year with the team, the second year in in the division, um, you know, kind of stepping away from whatever it was that was such a struggle last year. Yeah, I I feel pretty comfortable expecting a bit of a bounce back year for Paul Goldschmidt. I don't know that that means he's going to be the runaway MVP, but he's certainly capable of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Second base, I, I really wanted just to uh, make you mad and find someone besides Colton Wong to pick, but really, you can't really pick. It's obviously Colton Wong. I saw someone in Derek Gould's chat today saying, or yesterday, I guess, whatever it was, I was reading it today, that uh, that Colton Wong is easily replaceable. <laughs> mm. Well, um, I mean... I, I mean, you can. Anyone's easily replaceable. <laughs> it's do you want yeah. to replace that person? And right. I don't. I don't. You know, this isn't 2016 anymore. And those. Yeah. Uh, who uh, are, I don't. Who are the rumors back then? Brian Dozier, maybe. Um, right. yeah, yeah, Dozier was. I feel yeah. like that was hanging around for a while. Yeah. Um. You know, second base is interesting because there are other guys on the roster who could play at second base. So if you were looking to upgrade the possibility of trading Colton Wong, moving someone else to second base and then opening up third base or whatever it is, I get that. Um, But I think that you would still miss what Colton Wong brings. And this is not about that. It's about what we think is going to happen. (laughs) And I think that Colton Wong is going to be the starting second baseman. (laughs) I I, I think you're right. All right. So, so far we are, um, we we are three for three in terms of we have picked the same three people, but that's no surprise based on the <laughs> positions we have done. Third base, who you got? So we talked about last week how 
Francisco Lindor would be just incredible for the Cardinals to to go after. Mm-hmm. But this isn't a wish list. It's what I think is going to happen. Uh, so I think very boringly, it's going to be Paul DeYoung. At th- <laughs> or at, at, at third shortstop. Base. Sorry, at third base. Oh. Yeah, I skipped ahead. Oh, okay, no, uh, no. yeah. Um, I, my brain was skipping ahead to, yeah. to shortstop. Third base, um, Matt Carpenter, also boring. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not what people would like for it to be, but I have Matt Carpenter, at least for opening day, as the starting third baseman. All right. I also have Matt Carpenter for a myriad of reasons. But uh, yeah, I, I think what we saw last year could be who he is, but it's still not enough to make that determination yet. And he's based on his body of work. He's definitely going to get that start at third, I think. Yeah, uh, that's for me. It's, it's about the fact that they're going to give him every opportunity to, to claim that spot. Mm-hmm. And if they feel like he comes out of spring training, having made significant strides toward being the player he's capable of he's gonna get he's gonna get the chance to play I I just don't see a scenario unless he is playing like he did much of last year where he's at least at the beginning of the year not the starter right okay so this is where it's gonna get fun and you sort of already uh I know I gave it away gave it away but I have Francisco Lindor as the starting shortstop all right all right so here's the thing we the Cardinals like to trade with the Indians. You know, it's if it's yep. not an annual thing, that's it's pretty close to it. You know, uh, Mo likes to trade with a ch- with a Chernoff, and uh, he liked to trade with Chris uh, Antonetti before him. Uh, I don't know. It, it seems like of of the big names that are on the trading block, or at least rumored to be on the trading block. Like I guess Mookie Betts would be the other one, and who else am I forgetting? There's one other guy that keeps getting thrown out there. Uh, I can't believe I can't remember. Um, they were just talking about it on Effectively Wild the other day. Um, the Indians seem like the team who would be most likely to trade a superstar, but just based on how they operate, which is their probably one of the uh, look we already said all the teams are profitable but they're probably on the they're certainly on a different end of the spectrum than like say the red Sox and mookie Betts, right um and you know that they still play very i know this is an outdated term but they still play a very much money ball style i feel like uh and you know they're going to have to pay francisco lindor um eventually I don't think they're going to, want to do that. I think they're going to want to get some value out of him. And just because I wanted to make this game somewhat exciting, I think they're going to <laughs> trade him for the Cardinals. We're not going to see Paul DeYoung anymore, which is a shame because Paul DeYoung is certainly a fine human being and a heck of a baseball player. But just imagine a up the middle defense of Colton Wong and Francisco Lindor. I would love it. And I think that's what we're going to see in 2020. And I'll go ahead and take my 10 points now. I actually, I love that. I mean, if that were to happen, I would ha- happily concede those uh, those points to you in this conversation. Um, I, I've been a huge fan of Francisco Lindor for a long time, and I don't really know anyone who isn't, which is uh, rare these days, it seems. But I'm sure there's somebody, but they can just stay hidden from my site on the internet because I think Lindor is an awesome addition wherever you could fit him. And I I also, I mean, Paul DeYoung's great, but I think Lindor brings something that this team doesn't have right now. And, 
you know, anytime you can spice it up a little bit with a, a, a piece or a player who profiles differently than what you already have, obviously brings with him the excitement and the defense that you see playing at shortstop. I mean, I, I would love it. I would love everything about it. So I I went with DeYoung at short because I feel like that's more likely, <laughs> but I would love it if it was, if it was Lindor. <laughs> well, that, uh, that one point you uh, might gain over me might be the difference all because, all because you true. played with uh, <laughs> All right. Left field. This is another tough one. Yeah. So I went back and forth between t- actually Tommy Edmond, believe it or not, and Dylan Carlson. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had the same uh, debate. Because I think actually. they want to oh. have um, maybe – more of an attack from the left side this year. And both those guys give you that, uh, you know, Edmund, I, I should have looked at his splits to see, did he, I know he played in right a little bit last year. Did he play in left at all? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I sure think he, he played all three look, outfield positions at one point. Okay, Look, we threw Matt another. Adams out there. We can certainly throw yeah. Edmund out there and he's a switch hitter. So we can hit from the left side. Um, but I'm actually going to go with Dylan Carlson. Okay. Uh, I think, look, he, he, he tore it up all of last year uh, in Springfield and in Memphis. Um, I think he's going to have a big spring. And based on their lineup, based on their outfield, who else is going to be filling in center field and right field? I think they're going to look at that and say, we need an offensive punch here in the outfield. We need at least one of these corner outfield spots to have the potential to provide that big bat. And so I think they're going to go with Dylan Carlson. I think there's been so much made of not getting your hopes up about Dylan Carlson (laughs) making the opening day roster. But I also think that, man, if he comes in and has a monster spring and they're looking for answers in the outfield, I mean, if he comes in and answers all of your questions, I don't know how you you leave him off the opening day roster. (laughs) And I, I can see that happening really without it being a giant shock yeah i should i should probably also note that this is around the time of year where i kind of take a break from the normal stuff i read when it comes to baseball uh like like for instance (laughs) gould's chats um a lot of other things just because it's nice to have a little break so as far as i know the last couple days they've been saying you know there's no way carlson is making the opening day roster (laughs) and here i am saying he is but uh i you know, hopefully that's not the case. Did I did I miss that? No, I mean, no, okay, okay. no. I think there's just the 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 usual uh, kind of curb your enthusiasm yeah, yeah. sort of commentary going around at this point, which is totally fair. I went back and forth on the Carlson um, possibility as well, and I went with Tommy Edmond. But I have to tell you, I have an asterisk next to like five different positions mm-hmm. on the field that could all be Tommy Edmond okay. on any given day. So I have him in left field because that's where uh, there isn't another player who seems very obvious for that spot right now. Um, but I really think that, and I think you're the one that said this uh, a couple of weeks ago, or even when we first started talking about Tommy Edmond, is that he could kind of be the Ben Zobrist guy mm-hmm. and start every day, but not in the same position twice. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I called him like the poor man's Ben Zobrist. He might actually be much yeah. better than that, as far as we know. Yeah, so. so 
I feel like he has he's established enough of a rapport with the people who make those decisions that assuming he doesn't take a giant step backwards, he's going to get a chance to start. He's going to be a regular starter. He just might not be a regular starter at the same position every time he's on the field. So left field is where I put him with the caveat that he could start at third. He could spell Paul DeYoung at shortstop or Francisco Lindor. Uh, He could move over to right field. He could, you know, play where they need him to play to fill a spot or to put him in a position on defense that also keeps him in the lineup. Yeah. And uh, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I should also clarify that in the event it's Dylan Carlson, make no mistake, that's a three-point answer, not 10 points. Um, Even though he wasn't on the 25-man last year, he's obviously in the system. So that's he's a three-point guy in case there was any confusion there. Uh, Center field, who you got? So this is one that I feel like the easy answer is Harrison Bader, Mm -hmm. but I'm not convinced. Mm Uh, I'm going to go with Lane Thomas. Mm, Wow. I think that there's a great opportunity for him to earn the chance. And I don't think there's like an overwhelming, obvious answer in center field. If he can, if he hits well in spring training and Harrison Bader doesn't, I don't know how much you can justify one over the other when the the line from the front office has been, we need to see what we have in these guys. So if you're going to see what you have in them, he's a guy that you have to give a chance. And I, I know it's a perhaps a step back defensively, but I think that they want to know what they have in him. And for whatever reason, whether he's the best as far as the, the ceiling potential of the guys who could play in center field or not, he's he's made some fans in um, the people who sit in the decision-making chairs. And I am curious to see how much they're willing to stand behind this idea of, uh, of really trying to see what they've got. Gotcha. Uh, I'm going with Harrison Bader. Uh, boring answer. I don't really have much reason for it other than the fact that he was the starter last year. And I think he will, barring something... Uh, very odd in the spring. I think he'll be the starter this year, but my caveat will be he will be a starter with a pretty short leash. Okay. But that's but he's still my answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when we first started this, uh, I was <laughs> I made sure that we clarified we're only talking about opening day roster yes, because yes. I feel like this could all change very dramatically yeah. throughout the season. Yes, absolutely. Uh, right field, I have Fowler. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> it seems seems like there's not not a great way to get around that at this point. No, and not that you, not that Fowler is a, a terrible option in right. It just no. there's not a lot of flexibility as far as his role or that spot. Right, right. So that is all of the position players. Uh, so I had if, if there was any uh, if anyone wants to hear it again, I had Yachty, Goldschmidt, Wong, Carpenter, Francisco Lindor uh, in the outfield of. Uh, Dylan Carlson, Harrison, Harrison Bader, and Fowler. And I had Molina, Goldschmidt, Wong, Carpenter, DeYoung, Edmund in left, Thomas in center, and Fowler in right. Okay. So so we, we know we're going to have, uh, you know, yeah. We obviously have, how many, 
how many positions did we uh, differ on? So we differed on uh, on uh, shortstop, uh, left, and center. So yeah. so three spots. Yeah. All right. So that'll probably be the difference and see who wins this game. And uh, although we still have to get to the pitchers, and we'll go ahead and do that now. The five starting pitchers, and you don't have to list these in any sort of order, you know, in terms of like who do you think is going to be the four star or anything like that. But I went okay. ahead and did that. I have Flaherty, Michaelis. This me. It's a very boring list, by the way. Flaherty, Michaelis, Hudson, uh, Carlos. I guess that's the kind of the exciting answer. I think Carlos will be back in the starting rotation, and Adam Wainwright. Okay, so I went with Flaherty, Michaelis, Wainwright, Carlos Martinez, and this is one that doesn't like it. It doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, <laughs> but try to keep it interesting, right? Um, Dallas Keuchel. Whoa! I think there's. So here's wait, the thing. Wait, so who's who's missing? For, no Hudson. Hudson? Okay, Hudson. Okay, okay. Because, so I think, and this is, it doesn't necessarily hold up because I think that Hudson is going to be a guy that could be moved if they are looking for a trade because there's value there, right? Uh-huh. They're not going to trade yeah. the worst possible option. There's value there, but they can also replace it. I feel like they really want Carlos Martinez to be in the rotation. I feel like he really wants to be in the rotation. I think that's the best we've talked about this before. I think that's the best um, use of the value that he brings. So I I feel like that is going to be what everyone's working towards. Um, Dallas Keuchel has said that he sees a fit with the Cardinals. I was reading in, and here's where maybe the advantages I read Derek Gould's chat today. (laughs) Um, He was saying that that, that conversation has happened between his people and the Cardinals, nothing that has been finalized. But if there was a, a piece that seemed to make sense um, as far as an addition that isn't the Garrett Cole t- type free agent deal and isn't the, you know, Cindergard or, you know, fill in the blank trade type deal, um, the fact that Keuchel is a guy who has already said, yeah, I could I could see a fit in St. Louis that seems to be a huge hurdle that they have to cross with these free agents these days. Um, so if I'm just trying to throw a wrench into things and mix it up, uh, that there you go. There you have it. All right. I, I like it. So Hudson is what, two years away from arbitration. He's not a free agent until mm-hmm. 2025. So we're looking at a guy with uh, several years of team control and a guy who's not going to cost uh, a lot of money for a couple of seasons this could be someone who's attractive to the Indians, maybe, in my uh, fantastical yeah. uh, Francisco Lindor trade. Uh, I don't know a ton about <laughs> the Indians' rotation, or not as much as I should, but who knows? Maybe this would be the type of guy they would want, even though he doesn't quite fit the profile of the young uh, starting pitcher that teams look for these days. He's not a flamethrower. He throws a lot of two-seamers, even though that's a pitch that's um, not as popular as it used to be. I could see how someone of this profile would be attractive to the Indians. Look, you know, he just had a good rookie year, finished what, fifth and fifth and voting, right. I think, for rookie of the year. Um, yeah. He had a good season. So, yeah, that makes sense. So, what's going to happen is that Dallas Keuchel and Francisco Lindor are going to cancel each other out in this, in this game. Yep. And, you know, we're still going to be looking at who did we. It's going to come uh, down to uh, the, the, I guess, uh, yeah, so it's going to come down to <laughs> the outfield. It's going to come down to left field and center field. Yeah. 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 Well, that's all right. <laughs> um, 
the, yeah, I'm I'm okay with yeah. both of those scenarios. So, but yeah, I mean, I think I think Hudson's the kind of guy that you could package for a a bigger name piece if you wanted people, to, course, if yeah. it fit. Um, I mean, it's not going to be <laughs> Hudson for Lindor straight up, <laughs> but uh, I just feel like you know he's a he's a piece that has value that the Cardinals could also replace. Not because not because he's just easily replaceable, but because they have um, they have other options. They have, there are other ways that they can fill that spot. So especially if Carlos Martinez does end up back in in the rotation, and then you have a handful of other guys who are rotation contenders. Should you need to um, you know fill, backfill at all from there, either. So uh, I don't know. It, it just is a a thing that I would certainly not be opposed to. But that's what we do at this point, and we talk about <laughs> evidently mostly really boring options for this team. Um, but that's that's sort of their mo. Well, uh, as we well, we'll say, the loser of this game has to uh, edit the podcast, um, which uh, I really hope that's you because you do it any you do it anyway. <laughs> and I don't know how to do it, so let's, yeah, sure, let's, sure. Let's hope we'll, I we might end up skipping the podcast <laughs> yeah, that week yeah. if it. <laughs> Uh, but if anyone wants to play along, like I said, um, just shoot us your uh, your opening day starting position players and the five in the starting rotation, and we'll see what happens from there. We'll also see what happens at the winter meetings and as we go throughout the offseason. For now, though, Alex, we're going to see what happens in the Chirp of the Week. Cool. So, Tara, obviously you remember earlier in the season when I decided I was going to follow Paul DeYoung in the batting race, and that didn't work out too well. And um, then I decided I was going to follow Marcelo Zuna in the uh, see if he could win the RBI title. I don't know what we I don't even know quite what we call that. I guess RBI title in the National League. And uh, that didn't work out either, but it, I guess it worked out better than Paul DeYoung's um, pursuit <laughs> of the batting title. Um, uh, I, I bring this up because these are, you know, traditional stats. These are the stats that uh, go – these are two-thirds of the stats that go into the Triple Crown Award. You know, for a very long time, for – uh, for my whole lifetime, no one had won the Triple Crown because the last one had been, what, I believe in 1967 when Carl Yaskremski did it for the Boston Red Sox. Uh, that all changed in 2012 when Miguel Cabrera did it for the Detroit Tigers. And the idea of a Triple Crown was no longer this sort of uh, thing that, you know, was n- not really obtainable anymore. Uh, although I'm not sure if anyone ever really thought that, like, quite like they do like hitting 400 but it just for something that doesn't seem that crazy it's it's really rare for it to happen um there's been like maybe barely 20 in all of mlb and the most recent one in the national league and this almost never gets talked about um not even amongst cardinal fans i'm not sure if cardinals fans know this but the last person to uh get the triple crown in the national league was a cardinal it was ducky joe medwick in 1937 hmm. when he hit 31 home runs had 154 rbis and batted 374 even albert pujols uh, someone as great as albert pujols only had one season uh, and that was in 2010 uh, when he had at least two when he led the league in at least two of the categories um, and that was when he hit 42 home runs and had 118 rbis both of those led the national league uh, he batted 312, and uh, that was not enough to get the batting title. 2006 was probably his best year 
if you're looking at a Pujols year in which he his stats look like they could have been triple crown stats, but he actually didn't lead the league in anything. Uh, he hit 49 home runs, and I believe that was the year Ryan Howard hit like 58. Uh, mm-hmm. He had 137 yeah. RBIs, and he batted 331, but none of those were good enough to to lead the league. Uh, I wanted to look at who was the best Cardinal in all three categories in history. And some of these we know, right? But uh, the highest batting average ever by a Cardinal is by Tip O'Neill. Obviously not Speaker O'Neill. This is the very old Tip O'Neill back in 1887 when they were the actual St. Louis Browns. Uh, Not the St. Louis Browns who went on to become the Baltimore Orioles, but the St. Louis Browns who went on to become the St. Louis Cardinals and who played in the American Association. He hit 435 in 1887. Um, If we don't want to count that, if we want to move on to at least 1901, use that as our starting point, we go to Roger Hornsby, who hit 424 uh, in 1924. But I like the 435 in 1887. Yeah. Uh, For home runs, we all know what this is. That's Mark McGuire in 1998 when he hit 70. And RBIs goes back to Ducky. Uh, The uh, 154 RBIs he hit, and he, he drove in in 1937 when he won the Triple Crown. It's still the most by a Cardinal of all time. So we're looking at a 435 batting average, 70 home runs, and 154 RBIs. That would be quite the season if yeah. someone could, uh, <laughs> could pull that off. I, I don't quite see that happening. Uh, but yeah, Ducky Medwick, the last person in the National League to hit for the Triple Crown. And uh, it happened in 1937. So, I mean, we're going on like, you know, it's over 80 years now. It's been a very, very long time. And I'm curious if, if uh, anyone in, in any time, anytime soon is going to be able to pull this off in the National League. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, wonder, I wonder how much, I mean, we know the game has changed since then, right? So it, it, is this just like a, an anomaly that doesn't exist in the, the current sort of version of baseball players in in 2019 or or 2020 where you're not I I don't know you're not going to get that sort of consistency on on all fronts (laughs) offensively I don't know it's it's interesting when you look at the guys who pulled it off so many years ago and if that sort of profile player still exists yeah I think it's just tougher than people realize to with all the players out there to lead the league in all three categories. I, you know, I just think it's tougher than people, you know, just, it's not an easy thing to do, especially, you know, sometimes people don't think, you know, for hitting for home runs and RBIs necessarily coincides with a high batting average. You know, we think of like players like Tony Gwynn or something, you know, someone who wasn't a home run hitter as a guy who wins batting titles, Uh, whether or not that's Really the case, um, I don't know. I don't even know who won the batting tie last year. I stopped paying attention once Paul DeYoung dropped off. But maybe Paul DeYoung will uh, hit for for the Triple Crown this year, and that would be exciting. Although I don't but know what team would be doing. I was going to say, yeah, according to your predictions, yeah. not for the Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, it might be for the Indians or might even need to be part of a three-way trade if they yeah. don't want to pay uh, DeYoung's contract. You know. <laughs> well, we'll see if he can pull it off or if someone else can pull it off. I, I think RBI's have become a controversial (laughs) stat, shall we say, which is funny because it's just a a number, but so much of it depends on the guys uh, ahead of you, right? I mean, there's something something to that and and how that sort of falls in your favor. But you're right. I I still think 
any one of those stats that's just a, a counting stat in isolation maybe isn't telling you the full story about something, but it's still a, a thing. It's a piece of the puzzle, yes. right? <laughs> yes. The correct way to follow RBIs is to, of course, acknowledge that, yes, it's a stat that does not mean everything. Maybe it doesn't need to be weighted as heavily in this triple crown thing as home runs or batting average, but so what? It's still a fun thing to uh, do. Usually if a guy's driving in 100 runs, he's probably pretty right. good at something. Yeah, he's doing something um, right that doesn't have yeah, to do doing, with the guys least, ahead of him. He's at least hitting the ball. He, he's, he's, he's making contact. We can at Listen, least the that. number of times that the Cardinals didn't score with a runner at third and less than two outs this year, I, th- list, th- those RBIs mean a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll see what happens, who's able to pull it off. That's your chirp of the week. This I don't know where we're going with this at this point. So yeah, we're, send we're us... Making our- we're sounding very anti-saber right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's happening with all of that. <laughs> but send us your version of the opening day roster and we will keep tabs on it and maybe add up some points when we get to opening day, which seems very far away, but it will be here before you know it. Winter meetings start on Sunday, I believe. So next week, perhaps we'll have something more interesting to talk about than whether or not RBI is a relevant stat in 2020. But if not, we'll, we'll revisit this another time. Uh, and you can decide if it's important or not. He's Alex. I'm Tara. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.